This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Bob and Anne-Marie Goudsward on Serving Women in Crisis. Bob is on the pastoral staff of Christ Covenant Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. Anne-Marie is the executive director of Help Her, a ministry to women in crisis. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Bob and Anne-Marie Goudsward talk about a church's response to women in crisis. Welcome, everybody. Uh, My name is Bob Goudsward. I'm the director of pastoral care ministries at Christ Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. I'm with my wife, Anne-Marie, who's the executive director of Help Her, and it's a ministry that is uh, providing resources for caring for women in crisis. Today, we want to talk about a, um, a model of care, a ministry at Christ Covenant that we've been involved in, uh, a part of for quite a number of years, that is around shepherding and care in a team model. And the important aspect of what we want to get across today is You know, we've seen pastors who are in it solo, who often don't have the help they need inside of the church uh, to come alongside. And we want our pastors, we want our elders to begin to develop a ministry of care, a culture of care in the local church. And so we're going to talk about what that team might look like. We're going to talk about who the shepherding care is for. And we're going to talk about what, who does what, because as you expand your shepherding care model, it's important to get the roles right, it's important to get the relationships right, and so we're going to do that in 50, 45 minutes, I guess. Uh, Before we get that, though, we want to do that in the context of a story, and so Anne-Marie is going to kick us off with a story, and I want you to listen for the complexity in the story. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of helping the people in this story and begin to think about what's missing, what's lacking, or what you might already have in place in your church uh, to care for the people that you're going to hear about in this story. All right. It's 8 a.m. Do you have coffee? Okay. Because I'm going to read you a story. (laughs) Don't close your eyes. Well... 
If you listen better with your eyes closed, I'll accept that. But <clears throat> Anyway, so I'm going to introduce you to Sam and Gina. Um, Sam and Gina faithfully attend your church. Sam works as an electrical engineer, and Gina works at a local boutique. They met in high school, and they married 32 years ago, right after Gina became pregnant. They both came to know the Lord a few years after they got married, and they were saved. Over the years, their family grew, and now they have four adult married children and seven grandchildren. One evening, Gina sat sobbing uncontrollably, uncontrollably in your pastor's office. She had just discovered that her husband had an affair. This actually was Gina's greatest fear. Her dad was unfaithful to her mom and ended up leaving when Gina was in high school. Um, so she always wanted her marriage to be better. Um, because they were believers, she thought her marriage would be better. The revelation of Sam's affair made Gina question everything, including her relationship with God. Before she found out about Sam's infidelity, she and her husband had a long history of arguing. Most of the time, it was over finances. Sam's industry suffered in the economic downturn, so he had a difficult time keeping a job. He tried hard, and he tried hard to provide for his family, but there was always a pressure to perform and stay employed, so he was always stressed out. He expected Gina would be understanding and not nag and complain each night when he got home from work. He would just want to unwind and um, sit down after a long day. But Gina complained that she actually worked harder than Sam. Gina should not have been so surprised at Sam's indiscretion. He was involved in a flirtatious relationship several years back with another woman at work. At the time, Sam confessed to his sinful behavior, but he assured Gina that there was nothing physical that ever happened. Gina was never convinced, so she constantly held that inappropriate relationship over Sam's head. She'd ask Sam that if she couldn't trust him with the big things in their marriage, like fidelity, how could she trust him with their finances? Sam often fought back and said they wouldn't have as many financial problems if Gina didn't spend so much money on herself, on the children, on the grandchildren, and on the house. When Gina found out that Sam was once again spending an inordinate amount of time with a female coworker, she confronted him. Sam tried to convince Gina that since his coworker was also married, it was all very innocent. They would simply have lunch together or take a coffee break. However, one thing did lead to another, and Sam and the coworker were had an affair. When Gina found out about it, Sam repented and said he would stop seeing the other woman. Both of them agreed to go see the pastor. Sam told the, his pastor that Gina was to blame for his infidelity because all of her years of complaining and nagging. He says it was just too much to handle, and that the other woman made him feel good about himself, and all Gina did was make him feel inadequate. Gina told the pastor she struggles to believe anything Sam tells her, let alone trust or forgive him, and she says she finds herself crying daily about her life and about her marriage. 
Gina has asked Sam to move out of the house. Sam wants reconciliation, but Gina is unsure. She says she just wants peace. So how do you, as a church leader or a pastor or both, help this couple? So if you've been around the church, if you've been around the church for a while, you might be able to put real names to this story. Or you might have similar stories uh, with similar contexts. Um, if you ever had to walk with somebody in these circumstances, you know how difficult and complex and emotional it can be. Just listen to some of the complexity in the story. Certainly there's the affair, right? And our, our, our tendency is to focus on that particular aspect of what is going wrong with the marriage. But let me bring out a few other things in the story that you might have heard. There's a family history of Gina's parents who are divorced, father leaving Gina. Think about what Gina might be feeling at that point in time. Uh, Gina grew up fatherless. Gina had a great fear that she lived with, unfaithfulness of her husband. And you can imagine dynamics that exist in a marriage as a result of that fear. Gina is not questioning, is now questioning her marriage, but also questioning her relationship with God. There's a history of arguing between Sam and Gina, particularly around finances, but I imagine there's other things. Sam's difficulty in keeping a job, his identity and his work. What about pressures that he's feeling for providing for family? And just know, I'm not excusing what has happened. I'm just trying to show there's a lot more going on in this marriage than at the surface of an adulterous affair. Sam wants understanding. He wants to unwind. Um, A little bit of self-centeredness going on there. Um, She, Gina, hadn't trusted Sam since the emotional adultery, so there's that in the midst of it. Um, She held this over his head. Uh, Sam accused her of spending too much money. Sam was deceptive and lied. Sam said he repented, but did he? No. He blamed his wife. Um, Gina struggles to believe anything that Sam says or trust Sam. She has an unforgiving spirit. And not to say that we're expecting her to forgive Sam out of the box right there, but that is what she's taking into this situation. Sam wants reconciliation. His goal is reconciliation. Gina wants peace. This is not a good marriage that went bad because of adultery. This is a bad marriage that got worse because of adultery. Now think of a a context in your own churches of a pastor, um, women leaders, uh, deacons, that sort of thing. How do you help this family? Now we in Christ's covenant years ago were in situations where the pastors were the primary, and they should be the primary. But oftentimes they took the load of the work. They didn't have the people around them equipped to do the work of shepherding and ministry. And so you would, you would and, and I've talked to many of the pastors, uh, been at Christ's covenant about since 07, and this weight 
that they felt wasn't just the weight of their responsibility, but the weight of caring for the complexity of a situation like this, and how do they do it? And how do they bring people alongside to help? Um, helping this couple is going to be more than just focusing on repentance and forgiveness. And we often want to jump to that. There's a whole lot going on here that needs the help of other people. A pastor could spend a lot of time in this family just getting to the heart issues in this couple before they can really address what has happened in the adulterous situation. And if the goal is reconciliation and repentance, which is, is a good goal, another goal that is probably more important is their relationship with the Lord. And how are they seeing God in the midst of their marriage? Did you notice a story was void of God? Did you notice a story had no mention of their relationship and the community dynamics that they might have or Bible studies or being in fellowship with one another? They were a marriage that was isolated and just living life. They might have had God in the middle of their life, but it wasn't apparent. So quite a few years ago, we at Christ Covenant saw these gaps that we had. And, you know, our, our pastors were getting burned out. And so we began to develop a ministry of care and a culture of care in the church that focused on bringing not just the pastors or not just the elders, but the whole community of the church in one another care. And we call that a shepherding culture, um, a helper ministry. And one of the things before, you know, a lot of this talk is going to be about crisis care and people in crisis, but it's important to start with discipleship. You know, I wonder if Sam and Gina were in a discipleship group, if they had been discipled in the church, if they had relationships in small groups, if somebody knew what was going on with Sam, if somebody was caring for Gina, if we were dealing with some of the underlying issues before this happened, would we be where we are today? And we don't know that for sure. Certainly, you know, all sin can happen. Um, but it just shows that discipleship as a, as a proactive means of shepherding is very important. But then the reactive piece is also important. And what we have found is that we were spending a lot of time on the reactive side. So we had to put some more focus on discipleship. Um, and really getting into a shepherding care that allowed elders to get into the, the families and um, be part of those families and know where their families are at. So a shepherding team approach um, is basically, for us, defined as what you would guess, pastors, elders, a trained woman helper. And it's important that they have some training, um, a deacon, church community, you know, where can the church community come alongside, and then inside or outside experts. Sometimes you're dealing with situations that require expertise that you don't have or that you may need to develop internally. And so we will use both inside and outside. Um, I, know, I know some churches like to go directly outside. I think what we would like to do over time is train inside uh, because we do believe that the church is responsible for the care of the souls of its congregation. And so we don't like to send people outside, or at least we won't do it without some sort of connection or some sort of feedback coming back. 
Now, a team creates team dynamics. And, you know, I think, you know, the old adage is something like this. You know, if somebody else can't do it right, you're just going to do it yourself. And it's, it's easier to get in that mentality of not bringing a team along and just doing it yourself. And not because maybe somebody might not be able to do it right, but because it's hard to create teams. It takes forethought. It takes uh, equipping. It takes ministry to, come up, to, to, to actually equip the people that you might trust to come alongside somebody in this situation. So our shepherding team had to deal with some dynamics. Communication was key. Um, there's a direction that the pastor needs to, to, to point to, leveraging everyone's role, and we'll get into the roles a little bit later in a cohesive manner. There's regular communication between the team members. So if the woman's coming alongside another woman, what's being talked about there? What feedback's coming back? Um, how is the pastor communicating to this couple? Where, what is their role? It's all quite important. Um, don't assume, ask. Oftentimes we can get these assumptions of everything's going good or we think it's going this way. So there's a lot of communication that just needs to be there to be able to talk about what is really happening as we shepherd this couple. The other part is unity. Um, we don't all think the same. We don't all um, theologically think the same. But it's important that as a team, the elders and the pastors are still in that, in that position of responsibility and authority in some sense. And I use that word in, in a sense of the burden is on their shoulders. And so the team has to follow their lead and they have to be unified in how they're speaking to this couple. And so unity is a, is a big deal. You know, if, you're, if you're a solo pastor and you're dealing with it, you're one, you're unified, but when you bring a team along, you have to make sure that you're all aligned in how to care for this couple. Um, consistency. Stay connected to the, to, the, to the recipients of care. One of the things that we've seen is that as a woman comes alongside of another woman, the pastor and elder can become distant from that woman. And what happens oftentimes, and, and this is... I don't understand this because maybe I'm coming from a male perspective and, and I'm a ruling elder at Christ's covenant. But there's this relationship, you know, as we meet with women, we, we come in to those situations as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how, that's how I want to think about it. But I've found that they come into it thinking of it as this is my elder or this is my pastor or this is my authority. And it's a different dynamic. And I have to remember that because what happens oftentimes is that they see themselves kind of underneath as opposed to coming alongside another woman and helping her in the midst of this. And so that was a dynamic I just want to share with you because it, it kind of took me off guard um, as it relates to how we relate to the the. In this case, it'll be a husband and wife, but how we relate to the wife. And then monitoring and adjusting. Um, just make sure that you monitor the situation as a pastor. Um, you don't just say, hey, it's being handled, it's, it's going well. You need to you monitor. You need to know where things are at. Um, we don't want to um, just say, 
you know, if we're caring for, if another woman's caring for a woman and the, the male leadership's caring for the man and they're trying to bring it together, we don't want to just give all the burden of responsibility to the helper who's helping the woman. And oftentimes our helpers want that relational connection back to their pastors and elders. Oftentimes the woman under care wants that relational connection. And we want to make sure that's a, a very um, shepherding, caring um, connection as opposed to what may down the road, not for the woman necessarily, but if the guy is going to become under church discipline, um, we want that relationship to be one who, that is continually and consistently uh, looking for restoration as opposed to discipline and punishment. And it can easily go sideways because a lot of people look at church discipline as discipline and punishment when it's not meant to be. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Anne-Marie. She's going to give her perspective as a woman um, in this situation. This is the book. (laughs) There's a lot more information in here. Um, Structural type questions. Um, You can get this at CDM. I'm sorry, I don't know how much it is, but those people in the back do. Um, You'll notice that there's another author on there that's not Bob. He recently took over a position at Christ's Covenant that um, one pastor used to have all of the responsibility of what now three pastors have. Um, That's Bernie Lawrence. So he is retired now, and he was my co-author on that book. So just eliminate some confusion. Um, But I do want to share my perspective. This is kind of an apologetic somewhat, and we are going to have some crossover in some of the things that we've said. We've been married a really long time, so it happens. Um, Anyway, so from my perspective, I want to right out the gate make sure you know as um, helpers, and I should say also in Christ's covenant, they're called shepherdesses. You can call them whatever you want when you structure a ministry like this. And I've heard often different name. Um, Shepherdess doesn't sit well with some people, but we call them helpers in our helper ministry now, so um, that's an option, advocacy, advocates. But in our helper ministry, I want you to know that the women in our church, we love our male leadership. Um, We are affirming that the men are the ordained leaders in our churches. We are complementarian. Um, This is one of my favorite quotes about complementarity. I'm going to say that word too many times and I'm going to trip over it, but I'll try not to. It says, quote, creatures with complementary skills <laughs> flourish in each other's presence. So just like in the home, um, as complementarian couples, in the church, when we're working together side by side, we each flourish in each other's presence. Um, Genesis 2.18 has implications for the church. In Ephesians, Paul writes, We are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow and builds itself up in, in love. So, We see this as a partnership with our male leaders um, to help grow the body, to help grow God's kingdom. I also want to say that we recognize the mantle is on our men to lead, and um, Bob was talking a lot about that shepherding model. Um, 
we often find women coming to pastors asking for help and counsel because they want their husbands to be servant leaders in the home. Well, we feel that way as helpers um, in a ministry like this. Um, We love our servant leaders in the church, too. We just want to help come alongside so that we can care for women more comprehensively, um, just making sure that they are well cared for. Um, We also appreciate that they have to make the hard decisions. Many times women will come to me and say, do I have grounds for divorce? And I'll say, I have an opinion, and I'd be glad to, I love sharing my opinion. If you want to ask me, just ask. Um, But I don't, ultimately, I don't make that decision. It's on our leaders' shoulders to decide that. So um, we appreciate that as helpers in the church, that we don't have to make those difficult decisions. And we pray for our leaders when they do. Um, So moving a little bit forward from the apologetic, we do see things differently. Um, One way is not right and the other way wrong. Um, One of my examples is I was a decorator for about 10 years, and I went to school for decorating, and I have a really good eye, and I love spending money, and I like spending a lot of money, so I was really good at decorating. But every time I did something in the house, Bob would have an opinion, and I'd be like, no, I'm the decorator. (laughs) Um, But I came to realize he had some really good ideas, and I started calling him Robert. Um, We did use his ideas many times. I know he's going to love that. Anyway, so I would have to, you know, rethink my ideas to kind of fit with his. But what was interesting there is that we all live in our in our um, our spaces uniquely, and so when we bring those things together in wisdom and in creativity and helping other people, um, I think we expand, we multiply shepherding care in the church. Um, one of those things that Bob talked about, too, that we're really concerned about is unity. And it, it's, it's more than just one person makes the decision. Um, unity for Christians is a higher calling. It's more difficult, actually, to come to unity um, than to just you know, have somebody come in and make the decision. Um, but there's also a beauty in that process. And I think Paul, again, um, really highlights that in Philippians 2, 1 to 3. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So did you hear those few things? Encouragement in Christ. If there's encouragement in Christ... If there's comfort in love, if there's participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy, bring those things together. Bring those things to the table and be of the same mind. So if those things exist and we bring them to, to the table and we, and we are working towards unity, somebody has to give. And there's always a give and take on either side, um, which is also a beautiful thing. For God so loved the world, he gave so love gives, and when we don't think more highly of ourselves, we, we consider the other person's opinion more important than my own. Okay, so on some decorating decisions, I did not go the way he wanted. <laughs> there were definitely things that I thought were better, which they were. Um, anyway, but <laughs> when, we came, when we come together in that way, um, to, to unify, um, you have to give up some of your own 
your own ideas. And in that relationship, they, they're rich. I have a friend that works in full-time ministry, and she has told me that she does not agree with every elder, elder's theology on her board, and they don't agree either. Um, and when she works with that particular, one particular elder that she doesn't agree with, they have developed the most rich relationship out of all of them because they've had to work harder. Um, to get to a place where they could help a person and they were both in agreement. Now, of course, they don't violate their consciences to do that, but they just work really hard to come together um, so that the caregiving that they give is the best that it can be. So, that, I mean, that is so important is that relational connection. And what we're not talking about here is um, theological truths. You know, and I think there's a there's an understanding of what that theology should be for your church. Certainly, we have one for the PCA, um, but there is also a number of areas that are difficult uh, and gray. And how do we think about those things? And I respect um, hearing from a woman's perspective how they're approaching a particular area that might be gray. And we don't want this to turn into an emotional thing. We don't want to turn this into a purely heady theological thing. I mean, ultimately, we're caring for people. And it's not just processes, and we're not treating them as projects. And so we've got to be careful about that. But, but just that iron sharpening iron, it's not just men sharpening other men. Women sharpening men as well, men sharpening women. And how do we come together? I'm going to talk a little bit about the roles, because I think it's important um, to establish roles and clear delineation of roles. Certainly the pastor is the quarterback, if you will, of the team. They're the ones that we want uh, to put in that position. God has placed them in that position um, as pastors, um, teaching elders. It could be ruling elders as well, but we, we typically at Christ Covenant want a pastor involved, even if a ruling elder is involved as well. Um, I would say that one of the pastor's primary roles is equipping. Um, in, in Christ's covenant, we, we have seen not enough time spent on pastors equipping because they're too bogged down in the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, 11, 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, and I think it's very important that we in our churches, and you probably are all coming from different sized churches, so it's going to look different for each one of you. Um, but for, for Christ's covenant, we, we have realized the importance of equipping people for the work of ministry. That's not just service ministries, but we're also bringing it into our shepherding ministries. And how do we equip people to care for one another well? Um, we have found that... Um, some of our women, in, in very long, complex cases, were getting um, really disheartened because of the time commitment, not the time commitment, but, but the pastors don't have the time to dedicate to a particular person or situation and give it what it needs all the time. And that's a reality. That's not because we don't want to. It's not because pastors don't have hearts that want to help. Uh, but it's, it's a reality that they've got other responsibilities. And if this is one family, how, you know, what happens if you've got multiple families in your church? So they're leading the team. They're going to be primarily pastoral care and counseling. Um, they had some training. 
Um, we have started to develop in our church biblical counseling, so we want to we want to add to that pastoral counseling um, uh, competency, and um, and it's particular because we want to provide good pastoral biblical counsel, even if it's not from a pastor. Uh, they're facilitating team discussions. They're providing directions. They're maintaining the theology and the theological soundness of what is happening and how we're caring for this couple. And they're also having regular touch points um, with everyone that's receiving care. What we don't want to see happen is that the pastors are just kind of the quarterback over here, and then there's ruling elders and maybe um, helpers over here caring for for the people, even deacons as well. We want the pastor to be intimately involved, have a relational connection with everybody that is being cared for. This is particularly important, as I said earlier, that if it goes to church discipline, um, there needs to be a sense of relationship that that pastor has with uh, the couple. The elder uh, primary responsibility is shepherd the flock of God. Not that that's not a pastor's responsibility. I'm I'm thinking of ruling elders here. 1 Peter 5, 1 says, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a proactive aspect to this charge. We talked earlier about being proactive. Know your people. Elders need to know their people. They need to engage their people. They need to know where they're at spiritually. You know, if, if there was an elder in the life of this couple, Sam and Gina, and he knew where they were at, he, he, he most likely and could have addressed some of these other issues earlier in the process. When crisis occurs, though, um, our practical theology becomes on full display. What do we really believe at that point? We can forget what is true. You know, we can focus on the sin. We can focus on what happened. But do we believe that Christ is our all in all in this situation? Is his grace big enough and his gospel big enough for an adulterous situation? And not to say that this marriage will be restored, but we need to present and put out the gospel in the midst of this. Is he near? Uh, Does Gina feel like God is close? Coming alongside her and helping helping her know that God is near, that this didn't happen outside of his purview. He sees her. He also sees Sam. And God wants both of them to come near to him. Gina might be thinking, does God love me? Am I still his? Elders are in a prime position to point people to Christ and call them to remember. I love that the Bible calls us to remember often. And why does it do that? Because we forget. We forget in the midst of circumstances. We forget in the midst of difficulty. We lose sight of God in that midst. And having a shepherding team with multiple voices coming alongside is a huge help in bringing, in this case, Sam and Gina back to God and put their eyes on him. Do we want a marriage that is restored? Yes, we do. But we, what we want more importantly is that they are children of God who love the Lord, who are taking advantage of the grace that they have been given because that is what ultimately will bring them back to each other. The woman, her primary focus, the woman helper, her primary focus is the woman in need. 
Uh, there are some physical things that we don't want to forget about. Um, if there's a separation in this case, how is this woman going to handle this separation? Is she going to have the, her physical needs taken care of? What does she need to hear from God? You know, she may have these um, ideas, emotions, um, as well as anger. Um, you know, um, all of these things are welling up in her. And how do we speak to her? And how does another woman speak to her? And I think Anne Marie will get into that a little bit of giving her a viewpoint and not what happened, but on who God is in the midst of what happened. Encouragement, hope, empathy, love. I, I find my wife better at these things than I am. You know, she can, she can speak uh, in more sympathetic terms, understanding terms. Um, not to say that I don't have empathy, don't get that idea. Um, but I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate having a woman serving in these roles. Um, they have blessed me. They have helped me. They helped me see things that I wouldn't see normally. Um, they have helped me come up alongside another woman, speak to another woman in ways that I might not have done if I didn't hear from a woman's perspective. Um, I have even been blessed. I have, I've had situations where I have been really down because of the, of the trajectory of a particular situation. And the helper woman has actually encouraged me in the midst of it. And so I just love this ministry. I love the way um, our women come alongside uh, the men who are, are carrying the mantle of shepherding. And it's been sweet uh, for us. Um, quickly, a couple other things. We have deacons. Don't forget about the needs, the physical needs. We want to bring them into the situation. We also want to have the community come in on this. Now, there might be a, a, a good point and a bad point of bringing it in the community, but what are the relationships that already exist in the community? How do we, how do we think about the church providing one another care uh, in the life of the body? Um, and how do we come alongside one another? And then the inside-outside expertise, as I said, is primarily biblical counselors, Christian counselors, community services you might get into, um, where they're um, potential uh, abuse-type um, community services or other types of services that need to come alongside. And then experts in particular areas that just are, are outside the realm of, of our expertise. And this could be um, severe mental illnesses like um, schizophrenia or not as severe but, but do cause effect, Asperger's, OCD, those sorts of things. Trauma being a big one as well. The other thing I want you to think about as you go into this is a, base, a stage of care. Um, and how do you think about caring? And oftentimes, there's different roles in your stages. So in this particular case, there's, and, and putting a medical model around it might help triage, right? You're just going in to triage the situation. And at that point, the pastor is probably going to play the primary role, and then you're going to start building your team, and you're going to start bringing people alongside, because you just want to put some stability into the situation and triage it. Then there's intervention, where you're going to have to give direct attention to a particular issue. And you're going to be directive. You might, you might also be involved as a pastor elder, but you might be directive to the other people on the team to say, hey, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, and intervene in a particular situation. And then you want what I would call analogous to, to physical therapy, spiritual therapy, right? It's how are we growing these people in Christ? How are we growing the, this couple towards the Lord? And, and this is where I think it's helpful to have the pastor begin to develop and use other people in the ministry, 
to come alongside this. Because ultimately what we want to do is take them out of this very focused care model and bring them back into what I would call a, um, a discipline or a, a discipleship care model where they're now part of the fabric of the church in discipleship as opposed to being under this intensive care. Turn it over to you. For another commercial break. Okay. Um, so, speaking of team, as you can hear from Bob, we are um, very committed to the team approach to taking care of um, not just the women, but the shepherding cares of the church. But for the women, um, Christ Covenant has partnered with CDM to video our training. As you can hear also from Bob, it sounds like there's a lot required of our team members. Um, the men get the seminary training. The women don't necessarily get that. And what we found with the women that we're serving is they had experience, perhaps, that helped them understand a problem. Um, they had empathy. They were um, very good with compassion. Um, but they weren't really as solid about what they believed and then how to apply it to a situation. So our training is not specialized to specific um, issues such as infidelity or abuse or anything like that. It is just the foundational training, uh, theological, a uh, little bit of practical, 10 sessions, um, well, 10 sessions that include roundtables and a lecture, and then the study guide that goes with it, um, not side by side to the videos. It's something that the women do on, on their own, and we just started doing this program um, this year. You can find out next steps for how to kind of implement this in your own church if you want to, or in the brochure that you were given. Um, but this is what the workbook looks like. Okay, um, so from my perspective, um, you also heard um, kind of the background of what's going on with the elders and the um, deacons and the team. What, what does a, how does a woman prepare, besides the training, for um, interacting with a woman in crisis? Um, first of all, she, as Karen Hodge likes to say, walks the halls. Our women are proactive in caring for other women, meaning they listen to what the pastor has been praying for in the congregational prayer. They listen for, um, or they watch for the women that are kind of huddled off after the service praying together and crying, and they follow up with those women. They make it their, um, their task to keep up with women they've seen in crisis. It happens in small groups as well, as I'm sure you can all imagine. Um, but they are able to build those relationships deeper because they have more time. They have more time than the pastor has. Um, but they're also women, so they have that advantage as well. Um, but a woman also has time in that she can prepare in Bible studies. I mean, this is a, a ministry that she can put her Bible study knowledge to good use um, in helping another woman. Um, I'm going to skip over a few things because that man in the orange shirt just threw me a five-minute marker. <laughs> um, the other thing that I talk about often is that we, as women, when I say this, you're going to know, uh, we walk in each other's shoes. We, we walk in heels. As soon as I say walking in heels, most of you remember, most of the women remember, having worn heels all day long at a wedding or at a, a business function, and they remember that pain. We do that intuitively with women. We don't have the exact same experiences that they may have. Sometimes we do, and that, but that's not required. 
but we get into their shoes and we feel what they feel. We imagine how we would feel in that situation. How would we respond in that situation? Um, and this is just something that comes natural to us, I think, as women. Um, skipping ahead again. You better go. Yeah. We're going to have to wrap it up. All right. So um, make sure I get this on. We talked about uh, a woman coming alongside another woman advocating. Um, and what I don't want to lose sight of is who they're advocating for. Um, oftentimes we think of, okay, they're advocating for the woman. They're helping the woman uh, in this particular situation. But we at Christ Covenant want it to be broader than that. Um, we want, first and foremost, not just the woman, but the entire team advocating for God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so as we come into these shepherding situations, we want to always remember that we are God's ambassadors in the midst of that shepherding situation. We want our women to remember that too. Um, it's very easy to get caught up in what is happening in the circumstance. And we always want to bring God and point the woman towards God, point the man towards God. Uh, because they can have this horizontal perspective and lose sight of who God is. Um, the woman's going to be the, the recipient of the aid, comfort, uh, companionship. Um, the other thing I want to bring uh, to bear here is that we oftentimes, uh, the woman or the man, can look at us as the Savior, right? the intercessor, if you will. Um, we are not the Christ in this situation. I love uh, uh, Just a in quote. that one? What's that? Just in that situation? <laughs> Just in that situation? No. Um, Dane Orland, Gentle and Lowly, um, love the book, had this uh, quote about intercessor versus advocate. And I think it's, it's relevant. I mean, speaking about Christ, but it's relevant to what we do. The two ideas, speaking of intercessor and advocate, overlap, but there's a slightly different nuance to the Greek words underlying each. Intercession has the idea of mediating between two parties, bringing them together. That's Christ's role. Advocacy is similar, but has the idea of aligning oneself with another. An intercessor stands between two parties. An advocate doesn't simply stand in between the two parties, but steps over and joins one party as he or she approaches the other. And so thinking about our care model, that's what we want to do. That's what we want our women to do is step over. Now, we're not going to replace Christ in that role, uh, but we want, to, we want to step over and come alongside and bring the couple uh, towards Christ and see what Christ will do in their life. And I'm going to just summarize there um, as a shepherding team and then going to close this out, but as a shepherding team, um, we want to compassionately come alongside one another, bearing to witness to Christ and the truth of Scripture, and providing for their basic needs. And that is the goal. Point them to Christ. Uh, point them to their relationship with Christ and who they are in Christ. And let that aspect of the gospel work out in their lives um, for sanctification and for whatever happens in the relationship going forward. Well, I was going to tell you the rest of the story. You can. Go. It's in the book. 
Oh, I can do it? Okay. I was going to make you buy the book. No. Okay. All right. The rest of the story. Sam and Gina's pastor wisely recognized that any chance for reconciliation was dwindling fast. He called together an elder from the couple's community group, a seasoned, seasoned, not old, trained woman from their caregiving ministry, a deacon to surround the couple and walk alongside them during a very difficult season. The pastor and the elder met with Sam, and they walked him through all of the aspects of genuine repentance. They didn't accept his excuses, but reminded Sam, quote, men ought not to content themselves with general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. While Sam was disciplined by the session, he did confess fully and genuinely from the heart, and the fruit of his repentance was evident. Sam's affair prompted a review by his human resources at work, and he ended up losing his job. The deacons, led by the deacon on the team, helped Sam set up a a temporary living situation and provided for the couple to get professional counseling while they also met with the church leaders. They also helped Sam put together a budget. A schedule of meals was arranged for each spouse, and a group helped Gina do some of her more heavy household chores. The female helper on the team came alongside Gina, and they prayed, they studied scripture, They mourned the loss of the marriage that Gina had always wanted. Um, The advocate helped Gina see all suffering is loss, and it's meant to point us to the Lord, as it says in Acts 17. They worked hard to reinterpret the circumstances from God's perspective. He is good, and he does good. They also worked through biblical forgiveness, and Gina's help her relate information with permission to the pastor and elder, about the things they were doing together, but then also conveyed to the leadership, um, from the leadership, to Gina, their prayers, their process, and um, how they were progressing in the case. And they were assuring, she was assuring her that the leadership was doing good as well. Sam and Gina both individually grew in their relationships with the Lord Sam found a new freedom to be wholly concerned about what God thinks about him and not as concerned with sinful, fallen opinions. Gina found peace in joyfully accepting the guidance of both sorrow and suffering on her path and became excited to see what God would do to redeem her pain. While their future remains uncertain, they both recognized that they were cared well for their church. And they lived happily ever after. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces. Gifts and Graces.